Hi, and welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 329 of Cryptobiography, and it's part 7 of Tomorrow. And here we go. Betty found herself being hauled onto a huge ship. It looked strange, not shaped like any of the boats she'd seen before. It was wide and flat, at least relatively, but it was also bigger than any of the buildings in her town. Bigger even than most of the ruins she'd seen in the old parts of the city. She was brought onto one of the lower decks. Hundreds of bags were placed all near the ramp at the stern in the lower level. She and some other girls were then forcibly marched upstairs. There were chairs, hard plastic, and rows built into the floor. There must have been around 200 girls and young women. Oh no, Betty thought. She was well-read enough that she understood the implications immediately. She was still tied up, but that didn't last too long. The ship took off, and Betty realized that many of the other girls and women were no longer bound. A woman she didn't know bent down and undid her knots. When they were free, Betty removed the gag herself and thanked her. The woman nodded, and then moved off, finding another who was still tied. Betty had a thought. Joan? Joan Brewer, she called out, trying to carry over the many other voices. The mainlander men had backed off now that they were underway and couldn't just jump ship and swim for shore, so no one stopped her from crying out her friend's name. Betty, she heard back. Soon she and her friend Joan were in each other's arms, hugging and crying. They told each other their stories. Joan had been caught almost as soon as she left her house. She had not seen her parents, dead or alive. Whether Ron or her house was okay, she didn't know. The only part Betty wasn't sure of was whether Albert was alive or dead. She hoped he lived, but he very likely died, having been knocked unconscious so close to their house being set afire. Joan had more hope, but knew nothing, which was clearly giving her anxiety, bordering on insanity. She didn't know which of the two of them she pitied more. They looked behind them, off the stern of the ship. They saw the land receding and a spattering of small lights. Fires spread throughout their town. The ferry sputtered ahead. Even in the dark, with only some of the ancient lights working, Betty could see there was a lot of smoke coming out the back of the ship. She knew nothing about how to maintain engines or fuel, but she'd heard the adults talk about it at times, and it sounded like it was extremely difficult. Everything was now so old, and it had been such a long time since its usual maintenance was possible, that most engines had a lot of trouble. That certainly seemed the case for the ferry. Joan was sitting in numb shock. But something was stirring in Betty. She wanted to do everything she could to get back home. She didn't think they could commandeer the ship and return it home. There were too many mainlanders. She didn't know the exact number, but it was probably close to the number of women she saw in the expansive seating area, or more. And they had weapons. But she wanted to live. She looked around and saw a big box built into the wall. She wondered what was in it. She opened it, 
and saw that it was filled with life jackets. She handed one to Joan and put one on herself. Then she started handing them out to everyone else, and helped everyone who didn't know how to put one on. They went forward through the night. At first, with the fire still vi visible, Betty considered jumping and swimming for it. But in the icy winter waters, she didn't think she had a chance. Plus, she knew from sailing that out away from the island, here between her home and the mainland, the water tended to go left or right with the tides. She might get swept out to sea, even if she survived the cold, which she wouldn't. So, she and Joan huddled together. They didn't say anything, but Betty felt Joan sob against her shoulder several times. She was close to tears, but just too numb from the horror of the night's events. Minutes passed, then hours. They seemed to be going slower and slower. The ferry chugged ahead, black smoke billowing behind them. It also seemed to her that, very gradually, the ferry was tilting. Specifically, it was tilting upward towards the bow and down towards the stern. It was just a small thing at first. She wondered if she was just imagining it. But bit by bit, it became more noticeable, at least to her. Joan, do you feel that? The front of the ship going up? Joan lifted her head up and looked around, testing. Yeah, maybe. Betty thought about what that could mean. This ship hasn't had real maintenance since before the inundation. Maybe it's taking on water. Joan grasped her tighter. If it sinks, Betty continued, holding her friend back, at some point we'll have to jump in the water. It'll be cold, very cold. We'll have to make for whatever the closest land is. No one will be coming to save us. She stood up. The mainlander men looked at her, but they were guarding all the exits from the level, and as long as she didn't try to leave, they weren't coming after anyone. She looked towards the stern, but there were no lights there any longer. She looked at the sides, but if there was any land there, it wasn't visible. The stars gleamed overhead, but there's no moonlight right now. She went up as far forward as the cabin went and looked past the bow, which was noticeably high now. There were, she thought, a few lights ahead of them somewhere. How far, she had no idea, but hopefully close enough to swim to. She went back to Joan, who hadn't moved at all, and told her, So if the ship goes down, go towards the bow. Joan nodded her understanding. Betty looked around. All the girls and women were now wearing life jackets. None of the mainlanders were. She went to a group of three young women just behind them and explained that the ship was tilting and if it sank, to make in the direction of the bow where there were lights. She also recruited them to help spread the word. Soon the entire room knew, and it was becoming more and more obvious that the bow of the ship was rising. The lights were getting closer and closer, but the noises from the ferry's engines were getting louder and the smoke was getting worse. And still the bow was slowly rising. Then it happened. There was a noise. A thousand things sliding and grinding and banging off each other. But it was also somewhat mute, muted. The loot, Betty thought. All the things they stole from her town and the other towns on the island. They didn't tie them down, so now they're all sliding backward. And that means... It did. The bow moved up, noticeably. A number of the women screamed. For a second, Betty hoped that they could make a break for it. But the armed men, though they looked uncomfortable, were holding on by the exits. 
But now the balance of the ship was wrong. It was tipping more and more, not slowly as before, but quickly. Betty saw behind her that the water was dangerously high at the stern. Whatever had been starting to go wrong was about to go fully wrong very, very quickly. Now the bow was tipping moment by moment. The forward momentum of the ferry had stalled. The ship's not going to make it to port, Betty said. She made her way to the closest door. There were two men, both with spears. She was able to stay upright, just. We need to evacuate, Betty yelled loudly enough that even the women who hadn't been watching her approach the door looked at her. The ship is going down. Sit down, one of the men said, jabbing his spear towards her. We don't have time to argue, Betty said. She turned around and gave a quick glance to everyone. They were all looking at her now. We have to go. She turned back to the man with the spear. Move. He just kept holding the spear out at her. She decided she had to do something. She reached out, grabbed the spear, and pulled. The man wasn't prepared for this. And with the floor tilted, Betty pulled the spear so hard that the man was yanked out of the doorway and off his feet. He banged into her, then spun off and fell towards the stern. The second man grunted. He threatened Betty with the spear, but now the other women in the room had sprung to her defense. They grabbed him and threw him bodily down and disarmed him. It became a rout. Betty and the other women streamed to the exits, many going for the one that Betty helped clear. She could hear fighting at the other exits, but couldn't help them, so she went out. The cold hit her, and that was just the air. She craned over the rail and looked to the land ahead of them. It wasn't far, not at all, but the water was going to hurt. She and the other women walked downhill towards the stern. She looked for Joan, but couldn't find her. How had they gotten so separated? There were dozens of women now all making their way to down the railing. Betty was among the first. It was time to jump into that frigid water. And that's the end of the story for this week. I hope you're enjoying it. I am certainly enjoying writing it. And thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Mastodon, or Twitter. And thanks for listening. Words of Music, copyright 2023, Cryptobiography LLC, all rights reserved. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical. <laughs>